Welcome to this episode of Blue Tiger Suit. In today's episode, I'm bringing along a friend who doesn't really have an opinion one way or the other on the fandom, and I was hoping might be able to weigh in on some personal experiences, uh, where they experience anthropomorphism in their life, how they've interacted with it, how they feel about it, and overall what they think about the furry culture. So uh, today I'd like to welcome my friend. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, it's good to be here. No worries. So, um, is it true that you don't really have any experience with furries in the sense of an opinion one way or the other? Definitely. Uh, not only is this, this kind of relationship is definitely the first experience I had in close contact with furries. I've, I've encountered them on the internet before, um, from time to time, and uh, very brief mentions. So I would, you know, if you had asked me about the term, I would have definitely been aware. But as far as, you know, knowledge of the culture, or even the name furry fandom, like that, that term is definitely new to me. So... Uh, very much a blank slate in terms of what I know and also my opinions, um, just because I have very little knowledge to form them around, so. Perfect, because often people are polarized one way or the other. They're like, I have no idea what this is, and I don't really want to know what this is, or they know exactly what it is, and they absolutely hate it, or they know what it is, and they are part of it themselves, so they're completely biased. So thank you for kind of providing an unbiased perspective today. It's it's good to kind of have that fresh slate perspective. (laughs) No, absolutely, and I think yeah, it's definitely, as an idea, it kind of, it hits you pretty hard when you first when you first encounter it, and so I think it makes sense that people are very polarized, but the, it is interesting to think, you know, the, the people who choose to pursue it or pursue knowledge of it are definitely either people who have a strong interest in it or a strong distaste for it, um, which is, which makes sense, but it's interesting to think just your average person may have a very base level of knowledge, but their understanding of the why in particular is so limited. I think that's that's a cool thing to try to break break that um that knowledge gap and just express why people feel the need to do this or why why it's helpful for certain people. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think largely the media has you know this perception of you know it's, it's very largely fetish uh, fetishized. It's it's very you know it's colorful. It's it's big. The media just likes to kind of poke fun at it, and right. often there's not a lot of education there. So I'm kind of hoping to answer any questions that you might have about the fandom mm-hmm. while also kind of. Uh, popping the hood on your experiences that you've had. So, um, before we, we begin, I'd like to start with a kind of a foundation. Um, so, largely, uh, you know, people like myself, uh, a lot of community members uh, within the furry fandom are actually, they grew up watching a lot of Disney. They grew up a lot watching a lot of Sunday morning cartoons. They grew up watching a lot of um, a lot of anthropomorphism. Uh, personally, I was exposed to Fred Rogers quite a bit growing mm. up, so a lot of, like, that puppetry, uh, yes. like, like Daniel Tiger, that's, that was actually the inspiration for my persona, Stormy mm. Tiger. And then um, growing up watching Lion King pretty much on repeat. Um, ah. I was I was over at a friend's house recently, and I forgot how much I loved Bolt, and she had a little Bolt plushie sitting on the counter, and I was like, oh my goodness, I forgot <laughs> about this, and I had to do a double take because she she had all this furry stuff in in the in the living room where we were filming for uh, a piece that I'm working on, and I just I kind of blended right in with everything else, and I was like, I, I don't know if that's Bolt or if that's another persona. Uh, so Disney definitely has been kind of chipping away at this uh, anthropomorphic theme for a while now. So uh, what was kind of your first experience, uh, earliest memory of anthropomorphism, I guess? That's a good question. I think, honestly, probably Calvin and Hobbes, reading Calvin and Hobbes growing up. Um, and I, I loved Calvin and Hobbes. And then I didn't have a huge like Disney foundation. And what I did was often more kind of the animated people. Um, but definitely, you know, Lion King and some of those classics I encountered. And I think Jungle Book was a big one for me growing up, I remember. I loved watching the Jungle Book. But I think what's interesting about kind of my understanding of anthropomorphism is, especially if I think about, say, Calvin and Hobbes and how I perceived that, um, 
those characters that were kind of animals but also you know rational human-like beings were very much they existed so much in their own sphere that to me the idea of uh taking on animal characteristics or kind of emulating them was never uh never even something that crossed my mind just the idea that you know Hobbes wasn't like a person dressed up as a tiger or a tiger pretending to be a person he was just Hobbes um and so I think if I you know if if you were to talk to me about this when I was a child much more than saying you know I want to be like that character I would say I want to be that person's friend like not I want to be Hobbes but I want Hobbes to exist to be my uh, to be in relationship with me and I think that's an interesting kind of I'd be interested to hear how your side is different just that if you start to see those things as something to emulate or that kind of anthropomorphism is something you'd like to engage with as opposed to stand alongside. Yeah, so I, I started around, um, I, I was around 13, when I realized that I had an interest in anthropomorphism, and <clears throat> for me it was more the aspect of actually, uh, I, I started out with a strong mascot base, mm -hmm. and it was very, very foundational, and I kind of kept it for my parents for, I think 13 I really started to enjoy it, and I was like, I really want to do this, but I don't know how to tell my parents I want to dress as a giant animal. You know, as you do, you, you don't really bring that up to your parents at the dinner table, hey, mom, yeah. I want to be a giant fluffy tiger. They're like, what the <laughs> heck are you talking about? Um, so it took about three years to get the guts up to say, hey, so I found this local job and uh, it's at a ski resort, and uh, I want to be a giant penguin. And they were like, okay, do you need therapy? And I said, no, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. And then uh, I... This isn't to blow myself up, but I, I, I rocked at it. My parents yeah. were like, you're really, really good at like bringing this character to life. And my dad at the time, uh, his his company was searching for a mascot, and he said, hey, could you like build this character, make this character, perform as this character? And I said, yes, I've been waiting for you to ask me this for like <laughs> years, ever since we decided that we were going to get a moose. Um, but then a furry kind of stepped in, and I realized, okay, so I love anthropomorphism, uh, but I can also do this recreationally. It, do it doesn't yeah. have to be... Uh, like professionally, and I think a lot of mascots, um, they're in the unique position where they take off the suit and it's not their suit. Yes. They, they, they take it off and they walk away and right. you know they, they, they walk from the company and they, and they never throw it on again. For me, I've had a lot of withdrawal issues with that, which mm. I know that sounds bizarre, but like, I honestly, like, I would love to be the penguin again because that was such a fun costume <laughs> to wear and it was just, it was, it was such a great character to bring to life, but that's not my costume. So I think that there was a longing to like kind of have a costume that I could actually do and you know can have control over like hey I can like wear this wherever I want and, and whenever I want whatever I want and I started thinking okay so I'd, I'd love to do this more consistently and then I found the furry fandom and I realized okay so people build these characters and they could just kind of do this whatever they want and as a mask of those suffering with withdrawal from not being able to perform as their characters again I was like this is really appealing to have like my own character and. I started looking around at other people's personas and I realized that they were, you know, these big, larger than life, what looked like Disney characters. And I was, okay, so if I want to build a character, where am I going to look? And I'm going to look at my childhood Disney, you know, the, the big cartoony eyes, you know, the, the, the large personalities, uh, the, the, these big fluffy characters, uh, much like some of the other furries have done in this culture. Um, I think if you were to look at Zootopia and then look at Disney, it's mm -hmm. virtually synonymous right um <laughs> i know first i've seen zootopia like five times in, in, in theater when it first came out and they're like this is the greatest thing ever because it basically was furry brought to the screen right without calling it the furry fandom yes so disney's kind of been feeding this for a while now um but that's 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 kind of how it started for me so hmm. and then i that so the tiger thing was on a subconscious level because 
I didn't realize that, that that's why I chose it. It was because of Fred Rogers. Uh. I was at a screening of, I think it was Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It wasn't the Tom Hanks one. It was the one with the actual, like, Fred documentary. Yes, yeah. And I saw that. I cried the night most of it. It was so good. And I was like, I want to meet Fred. I really <laughs> just wanted to meet Fred. And um, the way that the producers had chosen to personify him was as Daniel Tiger. Hmm. And, like, even his wife and even the producers of the show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, kept saying, Daniel Tiger is Fred, and Fred is Daniel Tiger. Mm. So, to some degree, that was his persona, which everyone is probably going to roast me live, saying, Fred <laughs> Rogers didn't have a persona. I'm like, well, a lot of these people with the classification of using this animal to kind of speak, you, you know, your thoughts and the hard questions, um, that, that basically was kind of Fred's persona. So that's an interesting yeah. kind of segue into... I had a few questions on that, but so you... You talked a little bit about how your headspace changes, you know, when you're when you're doing mascot work and how that's kind of you you enjoy that so much. And I'm just fascinated. I've never you know yeah. been in that kind of suit. What is your what is your mindset there? Like, are you kind of trying to give yourself wholly to the animal? Are you creating a character that's kind of a synthesis of animal and person? Are yeah. you being yourself within a costume? Like, how do you negotiate the idea that you're simultaneously still yourself but also in a costume and playing a character what kind of character are you playing do you see it as acting or do you see it as a deeper expression of self so i think a little bit of both um on that last part that you're talking about with it, <coughs> acting and a deep expression i think it's i think it's both actually hmm. um before i dive into the rest of your question i do want to um kind of preface with saying that a lot of misconceptions surrounding furries are these are people that believe that they were born in the wrong bodies. Right. They think that they are animals. They should be animals. They're reclaiming what their spirit is desiring or kind of what have you here. Um, that's actually a psychological disorder called another yes. So <laughs> Definitely not something you want no, to be. No, no. <laughs> um, those people should probably see a psychologist just to kind of help you know work that out and, right. and receiving proper care. But kind of as you mentioned at first, what happens in the headspace is, and I've talked to a lot, a lot of fursuiters about this, um, it's, it's psychologically freeing. And a lot of fursuiters have even said, you're becoming, uh, I think of this one fursuiter, his name is Fett Speaks. Go check out his YouTube channel. I'm going to I'm gonna add Fett here because he's an awesome, awesome fursuiter. I've, I've seen him before. I'm going to be interviewing with him on Saturday for this project. And he says that it's actually the truer version of yourself. Hmm. So when you're putting on this character, <clears throat> all the fear of judgment goes away because no one knows who you are. No one actually knows who Fett is. He actually that very very tightly under wraps even when i interviewed him and i said can i like what do we do for this interview he said uh sure but I, i'm not showing my face and you're gonna know nothing about me and I said, perfect so you're casting all that judgment because no one knows who you are and he said that you're psychologically becoming a truer version of yourself because mm -hmm. you're just free to kind of goof around and he's the bounciest first seater i've ever met like mm. literally just bounce but bounce but bounce like he he's like this amazing um kind of this walk around character he has this voice he has this little like speaker that he uses to talk he, he, he's really really phenomenal character but he um he doesn't have that judgment when he's walking around right. so he's kind of freer to be himself um so no i would say in the headspace there's something psychological that happens and it's really psychologically um emotionally freeing you're physically drained but you're emotionally <laughs> full it's, it's, it's really really cool how do you feel that integrates with your day-to-day -day life like do you feel kind of existing in that space where you're more able to be yourself outside of judgment do you feel that that positively influences who you are kind of when you're not in the suit do you do you think you're you're kind of building social or or just uh, emotional skills that you can take outside of the fur for uh, fursuit conference or outside of the suit itself yeah, so I would say ever since I became a furry and identified with it and had this persona character, 
I noticed that I suddenly became more and more confident in myself. Mm. Um, not saying that I needed this character as a crutch. Not saying that when I, you know, I'm taking a test, I'm thinking, what would Stormy do for answer right. A or something like that. Like, like I didn't have this, like this imaginary friend. But I noticed that as I found this confidence, and I don't know if I would agree with saying true version of myself as JFET does, but I would say. Um, allowing myself to experience confidence on a different level, right. kind of getting a taste for that allows me to, when the fur comes off, to kind of tap into that a lot easier. So it's like this fear of this higher mm. level confidence that you have that you tap into with the fur, and then you know you take the fur off. You know you do this s several times, and then it's 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 much more accessible without the costume. Right. So it's kind of like training wheels in a way. That's really interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of it is definitely then a mechanism for you to grow in yourself exactly. um, and that that's I think important if you're talking about kind of uh, not wanting to get caught up in in a sense of the fursuit as being more yourself than you because obviously that would be a problem um, exactly <laughs> yeah so it's important I think it's, and it's cool to hear that you definitely have this idea that being in the fursuit benefits the real you and not the opposite you know like you in your job and your school and your life and your relationships are uh, growing by existing in a fursuit rather than waiting to be in that fursuit. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would almost say that it has the same effect as like a cup of coffee does with me. Mm. So <clears throat> I also do lean into it if I'm like feeling sad one day and I'm like, you know, it's raining out, you know, I'm just, I'm feeling terrible. I'm like, cool, let me throw on this goofy tiger head and I'm <laughs> just like, boom, like your entire perception changes around you. That's fascinating. Um, and what's cool is it's like a really, really healthy way to do it. You're not tapping into substances you're not tapping into like right. <laughs> like like pornography or something like that like yeah. literally just like okay boom tiger head goes on i feel better tiger head comes off like and no one could even tell that i was wearing a tiger head like and i just walk into like this really professional meeting and internally i'm like <laughs> sitting there at the table I'm like haha i was just like in fursuit like five minutes ago no one will know <laughs> but like i feel better and, and everyone looks at me and they're like oh wow it's raining out. i'm like i feel great so <laughs> that's it's funny it's kind of like non-prescript yeah no like, that's a that's like, fascinating psychological medication yeah and that's interesting as a question just kind of to yeah, yeah. Into. I know you've talked before about how furryism, much more than people realize, exists in the corporate world. Um, that's always fascinated me because it kind of speaks to the level that a lot of these kind of positions are unfulfilling. They're um, everywhere. Right. And so do you see then kind of the fursuit itself as uh, not necessarily a way to find, you know, some kind of ultimate meaning, but a way to find fulfillment in, in a, a life that may not be particularly fulfilling or in I a... I would say like therapy. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Yeah. So basically, when my parents were like, okay, actually, I'm going to back this up. So when I was talking to Gail um, about my parents' perception of this, they were like, okay, so do you need therapy? And I was joking with Gail. I'm like, well, actually, internally, I was thinking, no, this is the therapy. Like, <laughs> do you need therapy to be like, you, you want to dress as a giant animal? I'm like, no, the giant animal is the therapy. Like, that's, that's how it works. Um, no, so I would, I would say, well, I mean, what's cool is like furries are everywhere. Like, furries are flying your next commercial flight. Furries are flying... Uh, they're, they're, they're CFOs, they're firefighters, like you might even, like, for, for you might rescue from a burning building. Right. I mean, they're just everywhere, but you wouldn't know that. Um, but you have these people who, actually, there's a lot of military furries who come back, have PTSD, and they lean into their fursuits because right. it's a way of kind of, like, emotionally, like, boosting them a little bit. Um, I would say that, yes, there can be an unhealthy clinging to the fursuit sometimes. Right. Um, a lot of people invest quite a bit into it. Yes. Um, I would say keeping it in check how much you're investing into it as, as with anything. Right. Um, when you say it's kind of, in a practical sense, almost a form of therapy, do you see it as something then that you use to develop your kind of real self and then step away from once you feel more comfortable and more whole and more yeah. practically, um, more like you're able to find that freedom and that joy within yourself without the fursuit? Like, 
is it kind of a hobby that people will maintain their whole lives or is it kind of I use this to develop myself until I don't need it anymore? Um, so far, everyone that I know that has a fursuit has not put it down yet. <laughs> <laughs> that makes um, sense. And you have furries who are into their 50s or 60s. Wow. Um, they're called gray muzzles in, in <laughs> because of the... Right. Um, no, I've, I've, I've seen a secret with people for a while. They, they, it just... Interesting. It doesn't really go away. Yeah, I, that makes sense. <laughs> um, and I think at that point, when you're in your, like, your 40s or 50s, like the furries that I've seen, for them, it's not like as much therapy at the point as it is so the majority of us are, co are college students making yeah. life choices you know day in day out big exams right. you know literally just being like pushed right to the right like, like right on the grind um and i think i think that's why the majority is college students but yeah. i think when you get older and you need to be more carefree i think that is largely um i think i think it's just more for fun at that point that makes sense yeah. Yeah. No. So it is. It is then kind of a form of escapism. But you would argue that it's you know a healthy form of escapism that kind of has that doesn't yeah. necessarily have those those negative uh, connotations or those negative p possibilities that a lot of common methods of escapism have. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. That's fascinating. It's a, definitely a new way to look at it as compared to just you know I want to dress up as an animal. Yeah. I mean, I would say that it's non detrimental to self. <laughs> it's, it's actually healthy for self. It's non detrimental to others. You know right. Ruining someone else's life unless you, the person is scared of mascots and you're like right. running around scaring them. <laughs> I've never seen a furry do that before, but it's not detrimental to self. It's not detrimental to others. It's non-permanent, mm -hmm. and it's also something that you can kind of turn on and off like a light switch. You're like, right. yeah. I'm feeling sad. Boom, head goes on. I'm feeling less sad. Boom, head comes off. <laughs> it's it's very very easy to control. No, that's yeah. really interesting. Um, any questions about the community, like conventions, anything like that? Yeah, I think how how big? I mean, like. In a practical sense, how likely are you to encounter? How likely are you to encounter a furry in their fursuit, maybe in your average town or city? And then, how likely are you to encounter a furry out of their fursuit? Like, where where do these people concentrate? Mm -hmm. um, where would you expect to find them? Where would you expect not to find them? So furries have what's called fur meets. Um, okay. Usually, they'll have a local pod that gets together, and they'll do what's called fur bowl, which is a very very popular. You know, they literally go and they go bowling together. That makes sense. I would say rarely will you ever see one singular furry just kind of meandering about. Usually, it's like, hey, you know, texting all your friends, let's go to the park because right. the first thing by yourself is kind of boring sometimes. Um, that makes sense. I mean, like inside, yes. I mean, if you just need like that, I just need to lounge in my like you know, like, suit for a second. Right. Like, if you're going to go out and you're going to do, like, charity events or something, like, it's fun to have a bunch of people there. Um, that being said, I do know furries, again, like, Jayfa, who has done, like, uh, I think he did, like, a parade or something with people. Mm -hmm. uh, because these are also characters. I mean, right. it's, kinda, it's kind of like having, like, a Disney mascot there, in right. a way. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Do you see people kind of trying to market that or, or profit off that potential that, you know, they think, I already have this costume that I've spent so much on, I already have this character I've spent so much time constructing that I'm good at playing, that I enjoy mm -hmm. playing? Are there a lot of furries who try to look to that as a secondary yeah. or even a primary source of income? So in terms of profiting off the fandom, um, yes. Um, actually, I met with Dr. Conway, uh, Uncle Kage, and he was talking about how there's actually a group of furries who you can you know, hire out to go like right. go to the hospitals and you know, like show up at your like, next meeting or something like that. Kids' birthday parties. Exactly, exactly. Um, but in terms of profit, you know, people can actually make a living off the <coughs> fandom well. making like fursuits because each fursuit will cost like thousands and thousands of dollars, you right. know, commissioning fees and everything, and people can actually make a living off the fandom itself, which is mm. interesting. That is so. interesting. It's kind of, it's a self-sustaining community in a lot of ways. It's fascinating that it, yeah. it's very, would you call it insular? Would you say, you know, furries are more likely to be friends with furries, to be in relationship with other furries? Would you say people are, broadly speaking, at least in your experience, are people more or less likely to be comfortable stepping outside of the community? Is that kind of 
a practical reality given the size or I would say that I'm more comfortable interacting with other furries just because they like, kind of have that same level of confidence and kind right. of that same level of like okay we're both weirdos this is great right. <laughs> um, you know kind of that bonding thing that you can uh, kind of have as that central point but no, I would say it is more insular, as you mentioned, but it's it's also very, very inclusive. Right. So, I mean, it's not like excluding people, but furries will interact with furries, but not like in a yeah. clicky jock kind of way. No, yeah. In more like a, hey, like, we're goofballs here because <laughs> the way I like being goofballs. Hey, right. this person wants to be a goofball, sure, let's, like, throw them in the pile. Like, mm. so I would say insular, but not exclusionary. And so this is an interesting question, then, just yeah. on how... Um, how how the fandom expands in your experience have you found a lot of people like when they learn that you're a furry or when you interact with them in your fursuit do you find kind of quote-unquote converting people like do you how often would you say you meet someone who says that's interesting i might look into that as obviously most people will probably be that's a little bit weird that's not me i'm kind of confused like what's going on here do you find uh, every so often there's a person who's just like that's for me or or even if you as you get more deeply into dialogue with people and start to explain how you use it positively, do people start to think, huh, like maybe I could give this a shot? I would use the word social contagion. Um, it is very contagious. People see this joy, they're like, where do you find your joy? It's like, I'm a big fluffy tiger. And they're like, I kind of want to be a big fluffy tiger. <laughs> like, that sounds awesome. So, no, I would say I would say more often than not. I mean, a lot of my friends, um, I made, uh, I'm a part of a group chat here at school, and they found out that I was a furry, and then they, the, like, they all got for, like, personas. And I'm like, okay, wow. that's that's great. <laughs> Glad you guys did that. And, like, some actually commissioned, like, wow. art for it. And I'm like, okay, so I would I would use the word social contagion. It's very, <laughs> very contagious. We were like, okay, this is fun. Okay, well, th this is a great outlet, uh, which is... It's really interesting. Yeah. You, <laughs> so then, obviously, first, it's are expensive. So do you see a lot of people whose kind of outlet for that is art and kind of... Mm -hmm more you know like makeup things like that as opposed to being able to commission a full fursuit like how many people would you would you know who maybe aren't ready to take the step to get a fursuit or just can't afford it is that a common thing and how do people kind of approach that and deal with that how do you dip your toe in without yeah spending you know 12k on a suit so furry can be any level you want it's you say hi i have a first i mean stormy didn't come out of my head until three or four years into the fandom right um it was just this thing that i did and you know people I would, I would walk around at conventions wearing just my coat and a nice scarf and maybe some glasses. And uh, they that didn't affect anything. They were like, cool, you're still a furry, welcome. Because mm. I have my little bar, my, my little badge, my con badge, just the Stormy Tiger on it. Uh, but for people that, uh, yeah, I think I think art is a kind of a first stepping stone. But actually, only about a quarter of the furries uh, own fursuits. It's, interesting. It's, it's actually really, really uncommon for furries to own a fursuit, huh. which is interesting. That is interesting. But, yeah, the, the majority don't own them. So when you say then you know a quarter of furries on fursuits so those those other three quarters how do they express it we mentioned art but what are other ways that those people who can't afford a fursuit or who maybe aren't ready for one yet how do they understand they understand themselves as furries how do they express that yeah how do they get something out of it without being able to you know put on a suit and be fully nondescript i am the tiger not me i would say largely online groups like for affinity and you know different chats and different forums and things like that um, the community is crazy, crazy approachable. Um, I would say even furries that don't have a fursuit going to a convention, mm. like that's very, very, again, fursuits are rarer than not at conventions. Um, so in that sense, it's more yeah. about the people involved than it is about the act itself oh, for absolutely. a lot of people. It's about finding a community more than it is about dressing up or about being exactly. in this costume. Exactly. And I, I would say I've never found a more inclusive or more open-armed mm. community. Um, 
serious on the open arm part. Like you right. can walk up to anyone at a, at a fair convention and say, "Hi, I'd like to give you a hug," and they're like, "Absolutely, sure." Mm. Like you just you can't do that on like the subway, <laughs> right? Absolutely. But like I, I could walk up to and I've done this before. I walked up to like this blue dot and I'm like, "Your fursuit's awesome. Can I give you a hug?" And they're like, "I love fursuit hugs," and they're just like, like, like big bear hug. <laughs> um, I think I think I should do that picture of like me and hours. Yes. And I, I just walked up to hours. Uh, hours is a tiger. I was gonna add hours here. He's great. Go check out his Twitter. Um, I, don't, I don't know what his handle is, but hours the tiger. <laughs> And uh, I, I just walked up to him, and you know he was a little bit hesitant at first. And I'm like, "Hi, can I give you a hug?" He's like, "Oh, sure." And I'm like, "It's okay, I'm a tiger too." And he's like, "Oh, hang on a second. It's like big bear hugged me, and I'm like, "I don't know who you are." He's like, "I don't know who you are too, but this is fun." <laughs> so, so do you then yeah. find people, you know, if three quarters of people don't own fursuits, and if you know, for a lot of them, it's a lot more about that inclusivity and that open armness and, and the community. Yeah. Do you find people who aren't interested in having a fursuit at all? People who would say like, "I'm a furry. I'm part of the fur community, but I don't really want to step into the world of." you know, existing in such such a degree of stepping out of myself into a character. Are there people who wouldn't be comfortable ever with playing that character, but who still consider themselves part of the community? I would say absolutely. Huh. Um, you do not have to be, you do not have to own a fursuit to be a furry. Right. And I think, I think that's a common misconception. And, and you I don't think, have to even aspire to owning one or want to exactly. take that step. Exactly. And not only that, but I think... I think it's interesting because a lot of people will think, oh, I have to buy a fursuit with this big digigrade padding massive character and a lot of people don't realize so like for me my fursuit is i just have the head and the hand paws and the tail so you can also get your fursuit it's 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 very so the family can be taken in bite sizes so right. for me if i'm like i'm not ready for anything and i just i want hand paws to keep me like my hands warm right um you can just get hand paws and it, no one will judge you if you're just walking into a convention with, like wearing hand paws that makes sense um so you can kind of take it in bite sizes like i know some people who overheat quite easily mm -hmm. in, in in a costume and they're like i could never just walk around a convention floor for even half an hour <laughs> so what they do sense. is they just have the head the hand paws the feet paws and the tail but they don't have any like body suit right. that they wear so right. it, it's it's really kind of anything you want to do and also in terms of characters and inclusivity with characters there's also not um there's no bias against one character over the other right and not only that but it's it's so it's so customizable that you can even take species and combine species you can make up your own species i mean they, they have like the dutch angel dragons now and that's just just random species that someone decided to create <laughs> and then you have uh, I'm thinking of YouTubers that I know. So there's a wolf and a dragon. They combine it, they made a wagon. So you can just like make whatever, <laughs> whatever you, want, you want, and it can be whatever color you want, whatever name you want. Hmm. Um, it's it's very much. It's kind of the every the, like like you're a hammer and everything else is a nail. Like you just hmm. it's it's very very much whatever you want it to be. That um, makes a lot of sense. Uncle Kage says that it's 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 really a place for the dreamers. He's he's considered furries to be some of the most imaginative people hmm. because they make up these species called right. Dutch Angel Dragons. They have to envision <laughs> what it's called. They have to embody the character. He 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 said these are the most imaginative people that he knows. So hmm. yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it was good to be here. <laughs> um, any other closing questions or anything I can help out with? No, I think that was that was a good overview. It's definitely an interesting conversation. One last question I would I want to close out on. Hypothetically, if I had convention tickets in my pocket right now, and I said, "Do you want to come with me?" What would your gut thoughts be? And if you say no, that's totally okay. But like, what would you want to know about that? What What would your like thoughts be to that? My gut response would probably be that I wouldn't want to go, just because, as much as I might respect people who you know choose to have that as an outlet, it's not really an outlet that would make sense for me. Kind of as someone who's very comfortable with the outlets that I already have. Um, totally okay. But I think <laughs> I would be really interested just to know, like. I, I think it'd be cool to sit down and write out a list of like two or three questions just to ask people at the convention or a bigger list just to I think 
because it's so you know so poorly researched and so many people are so immediately dismissive of it um and obviously there's some people who are so passionate about it um and for some people it's such a you know such a formative part of their lives and so important to them it'd be really fascinating to try to get some basic data on like how many people uh, you know, just how many people can afford their fursuits, how they can afford those fursuits, uh, why they're a furry, basic questions like that, like, why are you a furry? Well, I've got some good news for you. You oh. can go check out a website called Fur Science, and oh, someone's already done all this at Anthrocon, so they have all that data. Where are you from? Do you own a fursuit? What's right. your species? What's your political view? Fascinating. All that data is on Fur Science, so listener, I encourage you to check out Fur Science. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really, really cool. But no, I, I, I totally respect that you wouldn't want to jump on that. Even as a furry myself, my first attending of a convention, it felt like stepping on a different planet, and no, I was really uncomfortable, like, culture shock for, like, hmm. ten minutes, and then you leave the convention, and you're, it's because then you kind of reverse culture shock, and you're, like, jumping <laughs> on the train back to, like, North Shore, and you're like, wait, why are where did all the animal costumes go? Like, why? Like, where is all the color? Like, it's kind of like boom back to reality. That's interesting. It's, it's huh. literally like walking on a different planet. But wow. thank you again so much for your time. I really, yeah, really, really appreciate this. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. Yeah. No, I appreciate you kind of elucidating <laughs> a topic that's so so absolutely absolutely poorly known. Yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, check out next episodes of Blue Tiger Suit. We're going to be doing a few more episodes here. And uh, if you guys have any questions, uh, leave that in the comments, and I'll be happy to address them. Thanks, guys.